We need to go to the bullpen. Hello baseball fans around the world and a warm welcome back to the Highland Bullpen Baseball Podcast, Scotland's take on America's pastime. Now it's been an interesting couple of weeks for my Seattle Mariners, for Alan's Detroit Tigers, for the Red Sox who are much beloved of Yorkshire Dave and interesting may not quite cover it for the White Sox but we are delighted to have Dave Jr. back for this episode to discuss the various misfortunes the boys from Chicago as well. So warm welcome everyone and, and I guess we were, we were discussing just before we came on here topics to cover and we have a kind of between us a, a great love of statistics and particularly I think Alan would perhaps lead the way but there would be plenty of competition as a stats lover amongst us. So we thought this week we would cover some of the recent happenings in baseball revolve around statistics and around the numbers that matter in MLB. Alan, uh, I gave, gave you the big build-up there as our stats king, although there is, of course, fierce competition. Uh, but what have you seen recently in the last couple of weeks, Alan, that's caught your eye? Yeah, I'd just like to scour the, the web for weird and vaguely unusual things that, that have happened. So the, the main one for me, and I always have a wee look out because he obviously was a tiger at one point, but Justin Verlander, who does seem to be struggling a wee bit at the Mets, a big signing as he's returned to the East Coast. But recently, the Mets, he had a win against the Reds. And the interesting thing about that was that he has now beat all 30 teams in Major League Baseball. Uh, Of course, that means that you've obviously beat the teams you've played for as well. Uh, So it's a stat that would exclude anyone who was a one-man team, although I'm not sure how often that would happen. But it's quite an interesting one. you you do play 162 games, but I'm guessing a top pitcher is probably playing 30, 30 to 40 games a season, possibly. Um, so your chances, statistically, you'd be playing every team once. Uh, so it's um, a pretty good achievement to beat every team. Uh, quite impressed with that one. So well, well done to JV. Uh, you must have beat the, the Tigers at some point, although you were on the receiving end of a pumping of the Tigers of of late, so um, that that I think was my favourite one. You you actually mentioned another stat of a pitcher recently as well, Richard. So that was uh, uh, Zach Grinke. Yes, that's correct, uh, Alan. Yeah, and it was the uh, I think it was a th- striking out a thousand different players. I think from memory. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's correct. So- yeah, that's the one. And you know what? It gave me pause because it seems so remarkable. I was assuming I was remembering wrong in some way. But yeah, I'm sure that is indeed what it was. And I think he joins from memory a very elite group. I think there's only four other pitchers who have achieved that mark as well. So it's a real, uh, a real landmark. You know, Roger Clemens, trying to remember the other ones that were in there. But it was certainly the, the great and the good. Not, not even the great and the good, just the great. A baseball yes. pitcher, so it's a very illustrious club to be in. Uh, I presume Nolan Ryan would have been one of them as well. I have to, I'll have to go back and check. But yes, certainly getting up there uh, in terms of the greats of all time. So yeah, absolutely. I'll just say the most impressive thing about that is that somebody has actually counted and recorded the thousand different batters that he struck out as well. It's um, uh, because. I just picture some guy with a spreadsheet with all these pictures and then a list between uh, a row between beneath each one of all the guys he struck out and starting with somebody new on day one and then veering towards the line number 1,000. So fantastic. Absolutely. And I, and I was right in terms of the two of the four that he joined in the list, Roger Clements and Nolan Ryan, but also Greg Maddox uh, and... Randy Johnson as well. So you really are talking some of the greats of, of all time there. And, and yeah, I doubt we'll see too many pitchers achieve that landmark in the in the years to come. Uh, I kind of there's a big debate about, you know, the kind of pitchers are throwing faster and harder than ever, but will they be able to do it for as long and the toll that will take on them uh, as well? So no, an absolutely fantastic achievement as well. And and a ball club that knows many fantastic achievements is the Boston Red Sox and 
Yorkshire Dave, you know, we, we, you're a fairly kind of medium start to the to the campaign this year. How do you feel it's looking for the Red Sox and what stats have caught your eye? Uh, in terms of the Red Sox progress, and I say progress and in inverted commas, because um, I think since our last podcast, uh, Red Sox went on a, um, a winning streak, eight straight they won, that took them to a record of 600 which uh, got them to the lofty spot of third in the very strong AL East division and actually in a wildcard spot. I mean, it's very early days and 30-odd games um, were played by then. But straight away, they went on a bit of a, a, you know, their last, um, well, they won last night, didn't I think? But before that, they they immediately went one and six in their next seven games. So, that found them back down in the basement of the AL East, although they still have a winning record. But, you know, such is the position there. They're nine, even with a record of uh, 23 and 20, they're still nine games off the raise and uh, even one and a half games back now in the wildcard spot. And we've now played 43 games. It's still early days, of course. But, um, yeah, I, <laughs> I listened to... Uh, a couple of uh, podcasts. Uh, well, yeah, I think I've mentioned before Tony Maz, and they're merciless in the, you know when it comes to criticising them. And I will start. I've not listened to the whole thing, but what's wrong with the Red Sox was the uh, you know the headline. And um, it's not difficult to see that um, it's it's all about the pitching and the starting pitching specifically. There've been some good individual performances, but. Their ERA, their overall team ERA for pitching is um, 5.07, and that's 27 out of 30 in the MLB. And their starting pitching specifically is even worse, and that's almost six earned runs. Um, and uh, that puts them 28th <laughs> with only the Reds and the A's behind them. So the hitting is good, um, and their starting pitching you know, Chris Sale pitched a good game the other day. Paxton is back after a very long injury. So there still might be room for improvement there. So oh, keeping the hunt and, um, um, you know, I'm still I'm still hopeful in terms of the Red Sox. Um, in terms of stats, I, know, I don't know whether this is the right time to talk about it, but um, uh, every year I start uh, um, doing a Red Sox journal you know writing up um as if i'm a reporter on each game but it just gets too much because they play every day and um i was writing up one a week or two ago and i used the term quality start and i didn't check it and i questioned myself i wondered whether actually i'd used it um correctly and i've since of course looked it up and as if um as if Baseball needed new stats. This is a relatively um, new one, although when I say relatively new, it's nearly four years old now. But it was it was the term and the stat was coined by um, a reporter, I think the Philadelphia reporter, John Lowe in 1985. And he was trying to, um, in his words, uh, evaluate whether a starting pitcher was doing his job or not, and doing his job, of course, is preventing runs and getting out. So he determined that a quality start he would define as a starting pitcher who has pitched a minimum of six complete innings and has allowed only three runs or fewer. So I think I might have been mixing that up slightly with the win statistic, which is, um, you know, an official MLB stat. And it's like a bit more complicated, but when it comes down to starting pitching, I think um, a starting a pitcher is awarded a win when he pitches at least five innings and leaves the game with his team in the lead, which is not relinquished until the game is over. So in a way, the wins, the quality start. I think he was he was trying to differentiate the measure because you can you can be awarded the win. I suppose conceivably it's not um, 
it's not restricting you to earned runs. So I guess if you're in a good team that's uh, and your batters are, are on form, you could leave the game after six innings and maybe you're winning 7-6. You've given up six earned runs. Um, um, but if you end up winning the game in 7-6, you would be awarded the win. Uh, six, giving up six earned runs, in the opinion of John Lowe, and I think he's right in that, would say, well, that's not really a quality start. So he was trying to differentiate between that, and he coined another couple of phrases, which was a tough loss and a cheap win. So a cheap win, I think he described as when a pitcher does not pitch a quality start, but still earns the win. So that kind of would be the like the example I've just given. Yeah. And a tough loss could be when the starting pitcher has, um, pitches a quality start, but still takes the loss. And the example for that might be, um, so he pitches six innings and allows only one run, but his team's batting lineup is shut out and they end up losing the game one, one nil. So quite a start, but he would be awarded. That's not the right term, but he, he would get the loss for that game. So uh, I don't know what you lads think about that. Um, I have a feeling that uh, in the current um, series with the Red Sox and the Mariners, they mentioned the starting pitcher the other night, I've forgotten his name, but I think he had several quality, and they quoted quality starts already this season. So. I wonder what you guys think of that. Does it make sense what I just said? <laughs> it makes the, the definition of it makes sense, Dave. Um, I'm interested in the, the cheap win and the tough loss, which I'll come back to. But I, I know the scoring is different from watching games of football, but it strikes me that allowing three runs is, is good, but it's not necessarily. Brilliant, if that makes sense. Um, and I'm sort of then thinking, it seems uh, I'm probably expecting too much perfection, but I'm thinking a quality start mm. zero one, maybe two, three seems quite high. I don't know what any. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right there. I think I think I did read that um, there has been some I don't know whether criticism or suggestion that it's not necessarily a reliable stat because. I guess if you've given up three earned runs over six innings, then that would qualify as a quality start. Well, that's effectively, you know, is a is a poor, works out at four point five ERA, hmm. which is not necessarily considered good, is it? You know, I think um, anything around the three mark is good, but that's over nine innings rather than six. So. I think you're right. I think it's questionable. I think it's I think it's worthwhile, um, in as much as uh, it, it's trying to evaluate, and he's perhaps been quite generous mm. to to the picture there. But um, yeah, it's good observation, that Alan. I think it will change as well over time uh, because last season, I think, had the lowest average runs per game, just over 8.5. So obviously, as the total average runs dropped and three being the benchmark becomes, you know, less less impressive. But obviously in prior times where, you know, the average was up beyond nine and stuff like that as well. Yeah, just the three seemed then probably a better performance, you know, a higher quality uh, performance, but as an interesting one, as an interesting one, uh, in terms of stats more widely, uh, the Seattle Mariners, Bryce Miller, who's been a sensational pitcher, and although he's not pitched yet against the Red Sox, uh, he's been tremendous in, in his first three outings, and he actually made history, uh, conceded only only allowed eight runners on base over his first three. Uh, first three major league games, and that's a minimum of I think fifteen innings throughout those three, and that uh, was a record since nineteen oh one, one hundred twenty two years since a since a pitcher is allowed eight or fewer base runners yeah. in the first three major league appearances with uh, you know fifteen, so a minimum of kind of five on average innings pitched. So yeah, it's, that was some uh, quality quality pitching, and I think it's the 
Yeah, it's an area of the game I'd like to learn more about, to be honest with you. You know, you guess. I find pitching, evaluating it, one of the hardest things to do. It's still a relatively new fan. You know, you can see great hitters. You can, you know, it's it's easier for, for me as a relatively new fan, I think, to see some guys that are clearly better hitters. But the the science behind the pitching, I still find absolutely fascinating. Uh, endlessly fascinating, actually. Yeah, I just, baseball will find, uh, as the, the game changes a little bit, it's still basically... The same game as it ever was, but there are subtle changes, and the statisticians will always adapt and uh, find new ways and improve ways of evaluating. And uh, yeah, it's our our job as fans of the sport and stats to uh, keep track of it. As a White Sox, so as a White Sox fan just now, Richard, I'd be quite happy. Uh, to concede three or less runs in an inning at present. So, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah. that'll be a quality I inning. <laughs> I was going to say as well, when we mentioned tough losses as well, I was going to say, uh, unfortunately, you'd be familiar with every flavour of loss so far this season, uh, Dave Jr. But oh no, no, although it's been a tough start for your team, it's, uh, it's good news for us. It's great to have you back in the bullpen as well. So yeah, it'd be good to get a, a sense of... of of what's happened? What's happened with the White Sox? Well, it's interesting if I can go back to the stats part first, Richard, um, if you don't mind. I've picked out, um, there's been so much on my mind the last few weeks, and you do try and move away from the White Sox at times, just to look for, for some interesting quirks. Um, so when we're talking about stats, and you mentioned at the, at the very top of the show that uh, we're interested, you know, we, we love the stats. So I like to look for little anomalies, which kind of sit out there. Now, this might sound quite obvious, but good teams and poor teams tend to really distort those numbers because they're better teams or they're poorer teams. So if you start talking about the Oakland A's or the Tampa Bay Rays, you're always going to find results are skewered in those particular ways. Um, but some some uh, stats that I found this week that I found quite interesting. So there's a whole category for one-run games in the MLB. So those would be games where someone's kind of won four, three, nine, eight. Um, and it's really, to me, if you look at that, you must think over the course of a season, those games kind of fall 50-50. As, you know, again, better teams are going to win more, poorer teams are going to lose more. Um, but I thought Seattle's numbers were quite interesting. Um, as, a, as a team that we all quite like, that we all know that have got good postseason um, birth potential, Seattle are four for 11 in one-run games. Which I get, you're looking at that and thinking that's kind of three to one in terms of how often you would then lose one run games. Uh, and to compare that to the rest of the, the bros, White Sox are five and seven. Uh, the Tigers are eight and four, so they do pretty well. Uh, and Boston are six for seven. So I think the, the two pairs of socks um, back my theory that, that things are kind of 50 50. Um, but for every Seattle Mariner, you're going to have a Miami Heat. Um, sorry, Miami. I've got the wrong sport. Miami Marlins. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, Miami are 13 for one in one-run games. And again, is that something that comes down to the, the, the clubhouse? Is that a team mentality? When, when things are tight, you've just got that bit of quality. Um, who knows? Um, but the other, before I move on, the other one stat that did... <laughs> that did sting out to me. I did mention the Oakland A's earlier who, you know, God bless them because they're, they're keeping every other team afloat just now. But during day games, um, so again, for those of you that are in the UK that, that don't tend to watch these things, a lot of games in, in the States tend to be split out across the days. You can have real games when you, you would be at work or at school, um, and you have those games getting played out across the afternoon. So the Oakland A's in day games, they've played 18 day games this year, and they're one for 17. So if you want to play Oakland, get them during the day, because that is just... Uh, and again, they do skew, uh, skew results, um, but their, their night stats are a whole lot better. But I just think that quite fascinating, one for 17 during day games. It's, it's, it's quite something. And it's funny you mentioned the Mariners as well. Sorry, the, the Mariners. What's really frustrating for me as a Mariners fan, Dave, is that 
the last two seasons, we've been really good in one run games. I think we've either been the best performing team or the second best for you know, the last two seasons. So, yeah, and that makes it all the more remarkable because you would think if it was a, a clubhouse mentality, well, it's not changed that much in the past you know, season or two in Seattle. Most of the same guys are still there. So you would hope that we wouldn't see that kind of turnaround. But I loved, absolutely loved your Oakland days one. That is, you know, for a team that's, Oh, oh, right, they are struggling, but that's a huge differential between uh, how they, how they do in, in the in the sunlight and what happens to them once the once the stars come out. So yeah, there's some great great stats in there. I think it's a beautiful part of the world, Oakland as well. So they they will get their fair share of sunshine, I believe. Um, that stadium, uh, I might have the wrong one, but I think it always looks bathed in in sunshine. But it's not doing them the many favors just now when they're at home. I've actually been to that stadium. That was the first baseball stadium I ever went to. Visiting our family, went up to, to, to Oakland as well. And I, I had a fantastic experience. I loved it. I can't remember too much about the stadium. I think it was, yeah, well, I think I was too young for it to have been, the, the drinks would have been of the soft variety. And I loved the whole experience. But I think it was maybe well, kind of a relatively veteran, even at that stage, the Oakland Stadium. And apologies to Oakland fans if I got that wrong. Uh, but yeah, yes, I've got a tough spot for them as well. And of course, the colours, you can imagine, are much the way I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah you, we can always bring football up this week, Richard, for once. <laughs> <laughs> Probably less so to your liking, I would say there, yeah. uh, Alan. But Alan, what do you make of that, that stat? And it's a great one that uh, Dave Jr's unearthed about Oakland's Misfortunes in the daylight. Yeah, but my gut. Well, a, a, I love the fact that it's counted. Uh, that's got <laughs> again got to be one of the best things. But so I was then trying to think. Surely that doesn't make any difference. But is, is it possible that teams have players who are better um, in bright sunlight or in, in in dusky or darker conditions? Why would a team like Oakland? sign players who can't cope with sunny conditions. Um, uh, there, there must be something in it. There's maybe something to chat about some other time, what uh, day, daytime games, what, what makes a difference for, for teams. Um, I wonder how much of it's psychological. Uh, I mean, when you look at football teams, if they lose, if they're on a losing run or there's a bad sequence against a particular team or a, whatever, or if a certain player is playing, then does that get into their head that we can't play day games? I think playing under the lights is different now um, the, than playing during the day. But yeah, they all do it. But at the beginnings, at the very beginnings of uh, baseball, then all I think all games were played during the day. And that would have been probably before floodlights. And I think famously, um, Wrigley Field was the last major league um, team to install lights. Uh, again, when I say relatively recently, I say in the last 40 or 50, 50 years, that counts as uh, recent to anyone who um, um, owns a bus pass and a state pension. Uh, but yeah, I think they were the, the, the last team to install lights. So I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's something in, um, in one of the one of the baseball films, um, the Costner one, Feel the, Feel dreams. the dreams. dreams, yeah, and um, doesn't one of the players who comes back through through the cornfield say something about the lights and blames it on the owners? That just popped into my head there, but yeah, it was uh, it's a, it's a relatively new thing, and you can imagine that there are differences in playing you know in the direct sunlight I, I'm sure there's something in the in the rules of baseball that initially um, the home plate had to face a certain direction and that was something to do with the position, positioning of the sun but I need to <laughs> I need to check that particular thing. Just a lot. 
No, that is no, that, that is a, a good one, a good one as well. One thing I wanted to mention, guys, because really keen to get your thoughts on it, is talking about Oakland, and it's not like they've got their troubles to seek, and they can't win a game in the day. Although you'd hope the, the, the Athletics might not be playing the day so much in a few years' time because it'll be very hot because they'll be in Las Vegas because the deal, the deal looks like it's pretty much done now, uh, and it's been reported that agreement has been reached on the Oakland A's becoming the Las Vegas A's, presumably, and up in California for Nevada. Uh, I think it's a very sad day for a, a franchise with a famous history and a long history uh, in Oakland as well. And I know we talked before, right at the very start, about how as, as football or, or soccer fans, it was really hard to imagine the notion that your, your team can be taken from you uh, and transplanted in a country the size of America, thousands of miles away. Uh, to play on the other side of the continent. So Dave Jr. is a man with a good appreciation for, for history and stuff as well, and probably like me, quite a sentimental fan of sports. What do you think of the, the Oakland A's move? I mean, it is, it is tragic. Uh, as you said, Richard, Oakland have got a great reputation. The one good thing is that they're moving to a city that will completely um, respect that tradition. They'll be really low-key about things. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I cannot wait to see how how baseball lines up in Vegas. I think Vegas has had a go at um, American football over the last few years, if I'm right in saying, but they've never really had much of a, a franchise out of that. So it'll be interesting to see. Um, and it could result in uh, maybe more British fans heading over to catch a game if they, they're able to enjoy the, the spoils of Vegas. Alan, what you, yeah, I think you're right, Dave. Do you know, Alan, what's your initial thoughts? Yeah, yeah I can see why... Vegas would potentially attract more people. It goes without saying, I won't be a fan of teams moving. Um, I, I understand the American system, so I'll understand why that's going to work. Uh, I think I'm right in saying Vegas as a plethora of sporting teams now, where if you went back 10 years ago, that may not have been the case. So there's obviously investment in there, and the green dollar uh, obviously counts for something. There, Richard, I suppose, is the, the bottom line. But yeah, clearly not a fan. It would break my heart. I can only imagine if some of my teams even move stadium, never mind move location. And, and, and I know we travel for games and I know my, my local team, as I grew up, are a long way away and I enjoy the travel back to go and see them. But relocating is just something we don't contemplate. I know we had that with the Wimbledons, um, down down south, but no, it's um, it it's probably one of as I've grown to love American sports. It's one of the few things that um, doesn't rock my boat, and I don't imagine it rocks anybody's boat other than the, the financiers. No, absolutely. Oh, I must say, Alan, I'm very open minded when it comes to the possibility of your 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 Scottish team being located to a different continent. I'd be fine with that. <laughs> there was it was a. Would I be going back to the 80s or 90s when the, our rivals contemplated that at one point? Or was that just uh, across the Irish Sea or was that pie in the sky? Oh, good, good question there. I, I may just have been one of these crazy ideas that were floated. But yeah, I think that's right. I think that was kind of in the late 80s one, wasn't it? To, Canvas uh, Lang, I heard. I didn't know. Well, Canvas <laughs> Lang was definitely, that was definitely. I'm not sure about uh, it. I was talking to a guy the other the other night who was in the, he's uh, on the committee of the Arrogate Film Society and he is a, an auditor and he was what it was it was just before McCann took him over, wasn't it? And there was a consortium in to buy out whether it be the Kellys and Whites who ran them then, and they were looking at moving out of um, East End to Canvas Lang, but. Um, it, you know, and he was, he said he was there, he was on the job for about six months and it got very far down the line until they they pulled out and then Mr McCann came in and the rest is history, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And for the benefit of those listeners who, who don't get our code, we're talking about Celtic and Rangers here, Glasgow's <laughs> ugly sisters in the Scottish football pantomime. Uh, so yes, that that's who we're talking about there. So while while they are still located very firmly in in Governing Parkhead, respectively, the A's heading over to to Nevada, and and I guess Yorkshire, Dave, they, they will certainly make a big 
spectacle. You know, I'm sure as Dave Jr. alluded to earlier, the full glitz and, and glamour of Vegas will be will be we will be kind of brought in to kind of support them. But I don't know. I don't know. I don't feel like Vegas is it's uh you know, Vegas for those of us that have been there, it's uh it's a city of people who, you know, aren't from Vegas, you know, a big tourist influx. There's a, uh, I, I, I'm not convinced it seems like the culture's there to support a baseball team, you know, to be invested in that. But, but what do you reckon, Yorkshire, Dave? Have they got a shot at making that a success? Yeah, they, they have a NHL team, don't they? they um, in Vegas, the Golden Knights. Um, yeah, I've never been, actually. I don't think I'd trust myself with all them <laughs> out there, but... Yeah, to us, uh, I mean, I, I remember back in the day uh, um, going through to see Hibs and we used to go in Robbie's Bar on, on Leith Walk and in, in the early 90s, 93, 94, and um, there were some Meadowbank Thistle fans in there asking us all to sign um petition against them moving the 17 miles from um, Edinburgh to Livingston, which of course they ended up doing. And yeah, we all felt for them, but compared with, I don't know what the distance between Oakland and um, uh, and Vegas is, but it'd be more than a half an hour bus ride, I would imagine. So um, yeah, it's, it's tough, you know. I've, I'm still, haven't got over the uh, Dodgers uh, leaving, <laughs> leaving Brooklyn in was it 1955 or 56. Um, so yeah, it's tough on their sports fans, isn't it? it? Really, really is. I don't know. I don't know how you deal with that. Really, I really yeah. don't. Yeah, I, I don't think it helps that invariably there's lots of financial shenanigans going on. I think the I think the owner of this, you know, he's a businessman. It's what you would do, but I think he's trying every trick to make sure that the city of Vegas picks up as much of the the tab as possible for the privilege of hosting hosting his team so yeah it'll be fascinating to see and, and I guess Vegas uh, and other parts of Nevada but mainly Vegas they've got a very large population of kind of Hispanic descent as well so you know maybe a lot of a lot from countries which have their own baseball history and heritage so they're possibly thinking about about that as well but but from a team that is there uh, shortly to go on, on the move to a team that very much has its long and illustrious history in the state of Illinois and the city of Chicago. And and Dave Jr., you talked a little bit earlier on about how, how the, the White Sox had been been getting on and, and we'll look forward to hearing more about that. But I also wanted to hear, I know you had a few more killer stats up your sleeve as well. Yeah, I mean, killer will be um, quite a lofty set of expectations, Richard. <laughs> um, but, but just to, to kind of cover over, anyone who sat next to Alan Cameron, at a football game, we'll know that his big, big bugbear um, is time-wasting within football. And it really is. It's something that drives not only him, but quite a lot of football fans up the wall. And for any of, of you football fans listening, there's been a little bit of movement in the last few years about almost trialling a type of pitch clock within football. Um, so that would be where the ball's in play for, say, 30 minutes of every half, so that time wasting doesn't really come into effect. You've got a sacred 30 minutes, the ball goes out of play and the, the timer is stopped. So that's one of the, the rules which has come in this year into baseball. And I'm just trying to, to kind of liken the, the two sports. So as you'll all know, um, the, the games are a lot shorter this year within the MLB. Uh, and what I've done is I've, I've took a whole lot of stats and compared them to this point last year, so 2022, um, to where we are in 2023. Uh, games are down from an average of three hours, five minutes to two hours, 37 minutes, which is effectively half an hour. Um, and it really eats uh, quite drastically. You know, you'll know that there's the, the advertisement breaks are still sacred. They're still very much in there. Um, but it's that real saving in the pitch clock, uh, which is shaved half an hour. Uh, again, that's a debate for another day about if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I know that Dave is quite a fan of, um, you know, going along to a game, and it's not just about the action, it's about the the inaction as well, the, the conversations and the enjoyment that take place uh, during uh, those spells of, of inaction. 
Um, in terms of what it does to a game, these shortened games, the batting averages have went up from an average two, sorry, 0.283 up to 0.298, which is, again, a little bit of an increase. Uh, slugging percentage, so for those that aren't too familiar with baseball, it's effectively kind of how hard you're going to hit a baseball um, in terms of how many bases you can make your way around. That's up from 0.371 to 0.406. Again, a, a, um, a little bit of movement there. Stolen bases with the new um, larger bases that I, th I believe the guys have spoken about before. Uh, at this point last year, you had 409 and that's went up to 613, um, with the actual percentage of successful stolen bases going up from 72% to 80%. Um, so there's a lot more action taking place on those uh, gigantic pizza boxes. Um, and the overall, you know, again, something to bring the, that all those stats home, a bit like football, goals really matter. That's, that's, that's what dictate games. So the average runs per game, are up from 8.2 to 9.2. So an entire run extra for every game, uh, which again, I find really interesting. So you wonder if it's just leading to perhaps something that Dave spoke about earlier was pitching. Are, are you having more pitching mistakes in there? Is that leading to higher ERAs? Um, maybe moving away from the historical quality starts. Um, and, and are those, it's just, there seems to be more action, more runs, better batting. Everything that I think general fans would want uh, seems to be happening now in MLB. So I wonder uh, if those stats hold true going through the rest of the season um, and if if the MLB as a whole uh, will be quite happy with those numbers. So I don't know if the guys, uh, if any of those numbers jump out or uh, is that what you'd expect? Yeah, there's, there's great stats there, Dave. Um, you know, I suspect the um, uh, doing away with a shift might be helping um, something with the average, hitting average as, uh, you know, that's, you know, that it seems like a small increase, but that, you know, when anything around three is pretty, pretty good for average, isn't it? So, and the, the on base thing as well, stealing bases is fantastic, I think. In fact, I saw something the other day, which you would only get through being a Red Sox fan, and it was um, a guy in, I think it was the, it wasn't even triple A, I think it was uh, uh, double A, and he stole six bases in the one game, <laughs> you know, including stealing home. I think that was off the passport. He might, he might have not, I'm not sure he got credited with a certain base for that, so he possibly uh, was <laughs> seven, but yeah, it just shows you, yeah, I think. Um, um, that is being seen as as quite a positive thing, and all teams are, are, are trying it, bunting, putting the ball in play. So getting back to a bit of um, what do they call it, small ball baseball, you know, which I which I'm all for. I'm not, you know, I'm not against the the clock at all. You know, two and a half games is still long enough. I think you get used to it. But there was there was something the other night. That happened actually in the um, against the cards, which means I'm definitely wearing my um, Cubs cap to both games at MLB London because uh, our closer, um, Kenley Jansen, who a couple of nights ago uh, became the seventh player to join the 400 Saves Club, he promptly blew the next two saves. Um, but one of them really, I wonder whether there's a bit of gamesmanship going on with Contreras of the cards. He's their catcher. And he was doing something a bit weird, trying to put um, the Kenley Jansen off, who was notoriously before, before the pitch clock, had quite a slow uh, delivery, but he's been doing okay this, this season. And he was trying to put him off his stride. So as well as the pitch clock on the pitcher, I think they've got 15 seconds um, to get their pick, to throw their pitch without uh, 20 seconds if there's a guy on base, I think they get an extra five seconds. But there's also this eight, the batter must be ready to receive the pitch um, for eight seconds to go. What this guy was doing, um, he was, he had one foot in the batter's box, he was facing the pitcher and had his bat in the air. So it looked like he was ready 
So the pitcher started his wind-up, but he had left one leg. Just watch him doing it. It's really, I think it's a bit... I'm not happy with it at all, actually. And there's quite a few people who think of being polite about it and saying, well, you know, it's all within the rules of the game. But I think it was gamesmanship. And he was deliberately leaving one leg out of the box, which technically meant he wasn't ready to receive the pitch. And um, although he didn't throw the pitch, he was in his motion, ready to pitch. And he was um, he was given a violation, um, I think three times, and eventually, you know, which is a ball, and this Contreras walked, and uh, it put him totally off. Now, I don't know, we can maybe see what the fallout of that is. I suspect there's going to be something um, done by the, uh, the authorities um, to see that that really something like that is not within the spirit of the new laws. Anyway, um, I just mentioned that because it's, uh, it, I don't know whether it's widely in the news or whether it's just, you know, the fallout from, from that particular game. But anyway, we'll see Contreras uh, and his antics. Apparently he's a sort of exaggerated framer um, type catcher as well. So he's got a bit of an edge to him, I think. Yeah, there's been a couple of ones recently where I've seen the, the bulk, you know, in a, in a couple of games. And I'll be honest with you, it was something I really knew very, very little little about. But, I mean, it makes, it makes sense and that you can kid on you're going to throw and then not. But, yeah, it was funny to see it. Yeah, that's, I've never, I still to this day don't really, even when they call a ball and they show you the replay, I, I can rarely see what it is that the picture has done for the violation it's it's really tricky yeah but i i would i would agree if he's if he's fainting to do something and then he tries to pick off the guy um then yeah i would say that's a legitimate thing is to give the guy the base um but yeah that thing the other night was um um i don't think it was in the spirit of the game um so Anyway, see see what our, all our listeners think. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's interesting you mention about the the stolen bases, Dave. Um, it just it is great to watch. It's a great part of the game, and it's also it's bringing speed back. It's getting that action in there. But something that I learned this week in relation to the stolen bases, did you all know that the first base coach carries and uses a stopwatch? No, no I didn't. So every team, if you watch them, um, and I was really interested in it, I've done a bit of digging into this as well. So if you think about it, your first base coach um, means that the the pitcher and the catcher are of the opposition team. Um, so what the first base coach is doing at that point, you know, he doesn't normally welcomes your team's hitter to first base as he comes in, he talks to them and they'll be maybe potentially talk, signs about, sorry, chat about stealing signs and so on and so forth. But what the first base coach is actually doing is determining how long it's taking for the pitcher catcher to get the pitch to the catcher's glove. And then from there, how long it's taking to get the ball from the catcher's glove to the, to the middle infield. So if they're trying to pick someone off at second base, the, the first base coach will time every single um, instance from the pitcher releasing the ball to when it's reaching the catcher to when the catcher then plays it to generally second base or, or shortstop. Um, and to give you an idea how quick that is, anything less than two seconds is where you're expecting that. So if a, if a first base coach is starting to time things and sees that, okay, Dave's catching this ball from Richard and he's actually at 2.2 seconds, it then gives the the hitting team an advantage because they can start to then attempt more stolen bases. So I hope that makes sense for anyone listening um, because the longer it's taken for that whole action to take place, pitcher to catcher to second base, it gives your guy more of a chance to re to go from first to second on a stolen base attempt. So I just thought that was quite interesting this week. Yeah, I've never heard that before, Dave. That's absolutely brilliant. So have they probably been always doing that then and this is you know 
not just a new thing. I, I believe so. So, and again, from what I've heard this over the last few weeks, um, these new rules they really are impacting catchers as well, because we've, mm-hmm. we've spoken about the the disengagements for pitchers uh, and trying to to pick runners off at first base, and you can only go up to that second disengagement. But it's unlimited if your catcher wants to try and catch, excuse the pun, if your catcher wants to pick a runner off at first base, you can do that an unlimited amount of times. Um, And it's meaning that more and more old school catching abilities and attributes are coming back into the game. So your pop up time, catching that ball as a catcher, popping up. Um, from your sort of crouch position and firing the ball off to first base. So the more athletic catchers are perhaps going to come back in vogue. Would that be second base, Dave? Yeah, first and second base. Right, Um, yeah. So if if your pitcher launches one at your catcher Mm -hmm. and the runner is stranded halfway between first and second base, um, you could try and pick them off at first base if there's not been a hit. Yeah, I mean, they used to do something where they would have like a, a signal to do a pitch out. Is that, is that the right terminology? Yes. So that the pitcher would, instead of, you know, pitching the ball to the batter out, he would pitch the ball to the to the, the side of the catcher so the catcher could would stand up there and be ready to, to fire the ball. If, you know, if they were seeing that the, um, the stolen base was on, they would um, try and, that pitch out to, to give him that extra fraction of a second to get the ball to um, to second base quick enough. Oh, brilliant stuff, guys. It's good to get those insights into, well, for me, are still the intricacies of baseball as well. So, no, that's fantastic. And Dave Jr.'s returned to the bullpen in great form. So, it's uh, great to have you. Have you back and, and, and hitting or pitching so well, I should say. And actually, on the subject of tipping and signs and the like, you know, there was a controversy the other day with Aaron Judge, uh, who obviously doesn't need any help to hit home runs, but there was some suggestion that he was getting some uh, help from the sidelines from the Yankees dugout. He was there uh, looking over suspiciously just before pitches uh, coming from the Blue Jays picture G Jackson, but it looks like I think uh, G Jackson's actually got but Judge well he's proved that Judge wasn't guilty because what G Jackson is saying is that it wasn't uh how he was holding the ball. It was a timing issue that, that somebody had noticed that he was spending a little bit longer moving from his different set to, to his kind of throwing position when he was throwing particular types of pitches, fastballs I think. So He's kind of said, no, it wasn't, nothing was wrong there. It was, uh, it was just me uh, giving uh, giving the game away. But yeah, it was an interesting one. I know Dave Jr., did you see see that story? Yeah, I did. There was, there was quite a lot flying about that night. Um, and I, I don't think the Yankees get much love on our on our little slice of the, the internet. Um, and I think people automatically wanted to kind of double down on, on Judge. And the, the graphics of him doing it didn't look too good, if you're being honest. But like you said, I listened to the interview from the um, the opposition today. And yeah, I think he's just said he, he was tipping his pitches. Which again, tipping pitches, to me, as a UK sports fan, always sounded really dodgy. <laughs> and I didn't quite realise that the meaning behind it. You know, If someone said, you know, that guy's tipping their pitches, I thought, well, are they giving information to the opposition, that, that can be a good thing. Um, but yeah, tipping the pitches, just, I get, I've not had a look into it too much. Maybe Dave knows more about that over the years. Um, but I think it's where the hitter is really got a good gauge or the pitcher isn't quite holding the ball correctly to to get a gauge on on what's coming. Yeah, I had missed that and I haven't seen the footage from it. You know, the Yankees took the moral high ground, didn't they, on the sign stealing thing the Astros and yeah I would I would think that everybody was hoping that they'd maybe been caught out but you know I, I kind of liken it a little bit to uh, cricket where um you know the batsman part of his skill is to try and pick up what kind of uh, ball the bowler is going to bowl at, bowl at him because um you know they will have like in pitching they'll have different deliveries 
So, you know, I use the example of Shane Warne, who was a leg break bowler. So he would be spinning the ball away from a right handed batsman. Um, but he would have another pit, another bowl, which would, instead of spinning that way, would spin into the batsman or would not spin at all and would go straight ahead. So if you couldn't spot, they would try and make it with the same action, the same delivery as his usual one. But if you couldn't spot it, then you would be playing for spin going one way and it would spin back the other way. And it would, you, you know, you would be well within your rights to, if you spot that and play for it and then pass it on to your teammates. Um, I'm not sure if it would be allowed for catchers to watch TV footage of it and try and relay that information to batsmen. Maybe it does have, maybe it doesn't. There's been plenty of controversies in cricket over the years. Um, but yeah, that was that was very interesting. I would say that's um, that's quite a good spot from the, the coaches. I would say that's um, that's a skill, but I would be more impressed if that was the batter was picked picking that up himself rather than the coach relaying that information to to the batter. I'm not sure I'm totally with that, but it's part of the game in, 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 uh, in baseball and in other American sports that the coaches have input on the field. I think, I think as long as technology isn't sneakily deployed, I think they tend to, tend to be fairly relaxed or not. Yeah. Into anybody else there, obviously. Obviously, uh, but yeah, well, I think given your your standout performance, your MVP performance this week, Dave Junior, I think myself, Alan, and, and Yorkshire Dave have have updated on our teams. We've shared our thoughts on how the Mariners, the Tigers, and the Red Sox are shaping up. So to close out the show this week, Dave Junior, the Chicago White Sox. What's going to happen next? What you mean is you want a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> The comic relief portion of the evening has begun. <laughs> um, so, again, it's my team. I could talk about them, them all day long. The injuries, again, which the White Sox have suffered. Now, the White Sox have been a team, maybe not touted to win the whole thing in the last couple of years, but definitely touted as a team in rebuild to be challenging to win. Um, and injuries have hit us hard the last couple of years, but those types of things can only go so far before you say, well, every team suffers injuries. You've, you've got to get on with it. Um, and at the moment, I think, what are the White Sox? 15 for 28. And it comes back to the old adage, you, you can't win everything early in the season, but you sure as hell can lose it. Um, and at present, you know, the White Sox are a million miles away from, from this. Uh, from from making the playoffs. Now, Alan will not uh, thank me for this at all, but in my opinion, the only thing giving the White Sox a glimmer of hope is the fact that we play in the poorest division out of all six that's out there. Um, I don't think you've got any standout team. The Tigers have done great this year. I, I don't think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I don't think there's any great teams at the moment in the division. Um, and it's my belief that only one Apparently team will better fall. than the White Sox, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I still don't think you're any good, though. It's like being the <laughs> tallest dwarf. <laughs> um, so, uh, at the moment, I think there's only one team going to qualify from the American League Central, and it'll be the winners. Um, and that's the only thing going. To give you an idea, um, and Dave will curse me for, for giving these figures, Boston are 23 and 20. And I believe are sitting bottom of of their division. The White Sox are fifteen and twenty eight, but both of those teams are only nine games back from from topping um, their own division. Um, yes, yeah, so both nine games back, um, and at the moment it's absolutely shocking because I think Boston are you know Boston are a really good team in a fantastic division. Um, but the White Sox could potentially stand a chance of making it to the playoffs simply because I don't really think the five teams are up to much in the American League Central. Uh, our next 13 games are all against American League Central opposition, uh, which will be really quite interesting because you're not looking to have excuses, but at the same point, facts are facts. Um, in, in the month of April, the White Sox had seven games against the Astros, the Giants, the Pirates, who were on an absolute tear, 
seven games against Tampa, who were <laughs> setting all sorts of records in baseball. The Blue Jays, the Orioles, who are performing heroics this season. Um, there was a couple of series against some smaller teams or some some poorer teams where they didn't, again, do themselves justice. Uh, but the teams they played against during April, and again, I've done some stats on this, the teams that they played were 130 for 81. Um, so, so you were playing a really good level of opposition, and the hope was that in May, the White Sox would have a, an easier schedule. Um, but they made complete arse of that uh, by going away to one of the weaker teams in baseball in, in Kansas City and going one for three, which was a huge... You know, you're looking to try and win three out of those four games. Um, now, again, those games upcoming against the Tigers, against Cleveland, Minnesota, and Kansas to try and get some revenge. The White Sox realistically need to, need to almost go 10 for 13, in my opinion. And even then... Uh, sorry, 10 for three. Uh, and even then, you're still going to be below the 500 mark going into June. Um, so they really have... Um, kind of made a real a real bum of this. Uh, the starting pitching has been poor. The bullpen has been poor. The offense has been has been poor as well. Um, so it's not been it's not been the best of times. Um, and I, I can't lay claim to having this. Uh, I know we're a bit pushed for time. Uh, I can't lay claim to to this stat being my own. But I think every team in baseball, a little bit like Scottish football or, or football, you have a core of players if you think about your club team, the old spine that's going through the team, every week you're going to have your goalie, two centre-halves, one or two midfield players and a, and a striker that's the core of your team. Uh, for the White Sox, in the last few years, that would have been the, the team that we built around would have been our catcher, Yasmani Grandal, our shortstop, Tim Anderson, our third baseman, Moncada, our centre-fielder, Luis Robert, and uh, our DH has been playing left field over the last couple of years, Eloy Jimenez. Five out of those nine guys would have been our, our real starters. Um, and I heard a stat the other day that since 2020, so bear in mind that's now, what, the fourth season, out of all the possible games that those five core players could have played together. So you're not talking about the same, again, football terms, the same starting 11. But for, God, what, three, 400 games, over that period of time, 11% of those games is when our core started. And that's not even including Jose Abreu, who would have been a, a starter for years um, as first baseman. So we really have been dogged by injuries in these last few years, but it's it's shown a bit of a, a sad torch on the depth of the squad, even going down to uh, the minor leagues, where the quality that we've got in the bench and then and be, to be able to bring up it just hasn't been good enough. So um, the White Sox, they, they've got no chance, in my opinion, of, of kind of going all the way this year. However, you've got to get to the postseason. And if by some, by hook or by crook, we can make it into the playoffs by winning the division, by each team cutting their own throats, um, that might be our best chance. But at the moment, um, it's not a division that looks strong or like it's going, going to give, or so going to provide... Um, a, a strong team in the playoffs. Again, Alan, you might be annoyed at that, but um, you know the Tigers and the White Sox are facing off over the next uh, week or two, so you might be making my me eat crow. Yeah, I think, I think it's a fair comment. Uh, you you be as a stats man and and a, and a fan of the sport. I think uh, I can't find any argument to to disagree with that. I'm afraid it's it's fairly obvious. So. You had three, three main headlines there, really, for the White Sox. Injuries, the schedule, and, and just really the, the lack of depth of squad. Yeah, I mean, the schedule has gone against us, in my opinion, for April. However, you might not be looking to try and win all those games, but you should still be trying to compete. Yeah. And if you, if you are truly looking to win it all, you should be competing against these better teams, and we just were not. Yeah. Um, which which and that's what makes me think the team just isn't good enough to to compete um, in the playoffs. I'm sure that we can on, on a game by game basis uh, do something, and mm. potentially against weaker teams in May. However, having said that, we're seven and seven in May. Uh, it's not it's it's not the best either. When you really need to be starting to eat up that gap or that deficit that's been created by April. Uh, April was tough, but you know, over the course of the season, you've got to play each other. You've got to play all these teams. Um, and 
uh, the White Sox have not made a very good fist of it. Yeah, uh, no, I think we can share your pain. Uh, uh, Dave Jr. And, and Alan, obviously, the Tigers have given Alan no shortage of pain over the last few seasons as well. But yeah, as the, I mean, we are just over a quarter of the way through the baseball season. It is a very long season. So there's, there's still hope that it will certainly require a major, a major turnaround for the White Sox, no doubt. Okay, everyone. Thank you very much for listening this week. Thank you to Alan, to Dave Jr. and to Yorkshire Dave. We will be back next time with the Highland Bullpen. <laughs>